You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Our guest today on Preaching Source is Dr. Matt Queen, uh, one of my distinguished colleagues here at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the Associate Professor of Evangelism and occupies the L.R. Scarborough Chair of Evangelism here at Southwestern, uh, what we have affectionately called for years as the Chair of Fire. And we're delighted to have Dr. Queen here. Matt, welcome to Preaching Source. It's my honor to be here, and thank you for the invitation today, Dr. McCarty. All right, I've got to start as the first question. What is the L.R. Scarborough Chair of Evangelism, and and why is it called the the Chair of Fire? Well, that's a good question. Uh, Back in the um, vision and heart of B.H. Carroll, our founder here at Southwestern Seminary, he knew that in order for a seminary to thrive and to grow and to be all that God wanted it to be, evangelism had to be at the core. Uh, Carol saw what had gone on at some of the other uh, older seminaries where they had started off well, but they uh, waned in their theology. And so he knew that he needed something uh, in the seminary that was different than any other kind of seminary, and that was to bring evangelism is as an academic discipline. And so the very first chair that was going to be endowed at Southwestern Seminary, in his mind, was a chair of evangelism. And not only was it the seminary's first chair, it was actually the very first chair of evangelism anywhere in the world. And he did so uh, to, again, teach the discipline to pastors and and to missionaries and others that would come. But he also had a real heart, uh, a real heart belief that if you tied a seminary to evangelism, it would not drift in its theology. And that, you know, the very famous quote that he gives to Scarborough on his deathbed to keep the seminary lashed to the cross. And if heresy comes into it to tell it to the faculty, and if they don't listen, then tell it to the trustees, and if they don't listen, tell it to the convention that appoints the trustees. And then he said, if, if the convention doesn't listen to it, you go to the great common people of our churches. You will not fail to get a hearing from them. And so by uh, bringing evangelism into the um, uh, the seminary, he was able to have that tie to theology. And now uh, a number of our Southern Baptist seminaries have chairs of evangelism. Even non-Southern Baptist uh, seminaries all around the world have uh, chairs of evangelism. So Southwestern and B.H. Carroll, L.R. Scarborough was real, were really pace setters in establishing this chair of evangelism. So this, I mean, the, the very idea of treating evangelism as an academic discipline was, was a groundbreaking, trend-setting idea. It, it was. You know, at, at some of the seminaries that, that preceded Southwestern and even Southern Seminary, uh, there were missionaries that would get trained, but they weren't getting trained in the specific, a specific course in evangelism. So the fact that Scarborough comes along, and of course with his presidential duties, uh, even when he wasn't president, he was doing some work for Carroll as a president because of his health. He would come in and he would teach uh, one class on evangelism uh, every uh, semester and uh, actually wrote books. He wrote 14 books, and nine of those books were specifically on evangelism. And so you have the first seminary class in evangelism. You have also the first textbooks in evangelism, the first one being with Christ after the lost. Mm. Matt, in, in my 33 years of service to the Southern Baptist Convention as the chief parliamentarian, I've worked with 16 presidents, and every president and every convention in those three decades 
They've always been concerned with evangelism in, in some fashion. W- what do you see as the challenges uh, in, in evangelism for the Southern Baptist Convention today in our churches? Yeah, I, I think probably uh, one of the greatest challenges is that we have a lot of pastors who really want to lead their churches in evangelism, who they themselves love evangelism, but they just don't know how to get it started in their churches. And uh, they try, maybe they'll try with an evangelism program, they'll try with this or that, and they just they just don't know how to make it a core part of the DNA of the church. And so I think that's one problem that I see in some of the churches that I go into each and every week to train in evangelism. I think also, unfortunately, um, Dr. Fish, uh, Roy Fish, who taught here for several years, he, he coined the term. He said that, uh, unfortunately, in the Southern Baptist Convention, we have what's called practicing universalists. And what he meant by this is this. Uh, no Southern Baptist, no good Southern Baptist affirming the Baptist faith in Message 2000 would believe in universalism. That is that belief that everyone is going to go to you know, peace when they die. Uh, we would all say we're exclusivists, that Jesus is the only way for salvation. But in the practice of our evangelism or lack thereof, we are practicing universalists. We believe in evangelism. You know, there's some people who believe in evangelism as long as someone else does it. There's others who believe in evangelism as long as they don't have to do it. And that's where a lot of Southern Baptists are. And then there's some people who believe in evangelism and do it. So I think this um, problem with pastors knowing how to put the nuts and bolts together in their churches to do evangelism, as well as really a soteriological apathy, uh, practicing universalism, as Roy Fish called it, I think are some of the problems that are facing us right now. One of the, thir- one of the things that concerns, and, and I, I would even say troubles uh, Southern Baptist currently, is that right now we, we are at a 70-year low in baptisms. Uh, accompanying that, there's a 27-year low in church membership, a 20-year low in attendance. So the the $64,000 question here is what can Southern Baptists do to change that, to turn around that decline in evangelism? Yeah, that's being talked a lot about uh, today in our convention. And, and thankfully, our president, Dr. Steve Gaines, appointed an evangelism task force that is our, we've already met twice. We're having another meeting in May to hopefully bring uh, some answers to this very question. Um, you know, I, I'm not the committee. I'm not a spokesman for the committee, so I will let the committee speak for itself when that report is is presented to the people. But just on a personal note, I, I really, and I, not to be uh, super spiritual about this, but I really think the key to fixing the problems in the Baptist Convention is prayer, and it's threefold. First of all, we wring our hands. We try to come up with strategies and plans and programs and evangelism uh, to try to, to correct this problem. When Jesus said, you need to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth harvesters. And I said this in my, cl- my evangelism class yesterday. I asked my class, how many people can you account for that is actually practicing evangelism in your own church? that you've actually prayed for God to send into the harvest field. And so I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves. And by the way, for our listeners, watch out what you pray for because you just may get it. If you pray for harvesters, God will actually answer that prayer, and you'll be the first answer to that prayer. But continue to pray it even after you become the answer. The second thing is um, our president, Dr. Paige Patterson, I don't know that it's original with him, but at least I heard it originally with him, is uh, he encourages people to pray what he calls the soul winner's prayer. 
Dr. Patterson says, every morning before his feet hit the floor, he prays three things. Lord, today, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. Second, Lord, whenever that opportunity comes, give me sense enough to recognize it. And third, Lord, give me the courage to act on it when I realize it's there. And, uh, you know, in a prayer like that, Dr. McCarty, you don't even have to say, God, if it's your will to answer that. That is God's will to answer. So I think uh, we, we also not only pray for harvesters, pray for our own selves. But I think we need to start keeping a prayer list of the lost. Uh, God has blessed churches. It's been documented by Tom Rainer. It's been documented by the Georgia Baptist Convention and others. When p- churches and people start praying for the lost by name, not only do churches grow, but people become more evangelistic because God does something in that person's heart or in that church's heart that we don't talk about the word burden, but he lays a burden, a deeper burden for that lost person on your heart so that you do all that you can through evangelistic activity to try to bring those people to Christ. Mm. Dr. Queen, uh, one of the required texts that you have in the evangelism courses that you teach is uh, Chuck Kelly's book, How Did They Do It? The Story of Southern Baptist Evangelism. Uh, And Dr. Kelly outlines four methods that Southern Baptists have used historically in evangelism. Talk to us for a little bit about what those four methods are and and do they still work? Sure, yeah. So those four methods that he does, and and, uh, how do they do it, the story of Southern Baptist evangelism, it is a a, a popular um, rewriting of his own dissertation. Um, he starts off and he says that Southern Baptists have grown in their history through, first of all, decisional preaching. He actually refers to people like B.H. Carroll, George W. Truett, and others, and it's a decisional preaching. Now, we at Southwestern and, of course, Preaching Source, we are advocates for text-driven preaching. And I think you can preach decisionally and text and in a text-driven way in the same way. You know, what happens, I think, unfortunately, is most, uh, most sermons that are preached, whether they're topical, whether they're expository or specifically text-driven, what happens is we go through the text, and then our uh, invitation, whether we're preaching from Ezekiel or John or Revelation or Genesis, whatever it is, our invitations as pastors become the very same thing. I call you to Christ. I call you to salvation. I call you to become a member of the church. And no matter where you're preaching, it's just a general call. I think what would, would, would behoove us and what I think some of the older men did is to actually take from the text you're preaching uh, your invitation and call people to uh, Christ from what the actual text says. And so decisional preaching is one way in which Southern Baptists have grown. And of course, now there's uh, calls for us to, whether it's an altar call, whether it's a raise the hand opportunity or cards, uh, to actually call for responses in our sermons. Uh, The second way that he said that um, uh, Southern Baptists have grown is not only decisional preaching, but it's through personal evangelism. And of course, uh, in personal evangelism, that's where not just the pastor, not just the quote-unquote, church professionals go out and evangelize, but where everybody is mobilized to go out and evangelize. Now, systematically, that has been done in the Southern Baptist Convention through programs, but what um, we want to make sure of, whether it's a program or whether it's in your everyday life, that Southern Baptists are consistently sharing the gospel, and that's how we've grown in the past. 
Revivalism is another one. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of people that say revivals don't work anymore. And Dr. McCarty, my question to them is, well, when was the last time you tried one? You know, Southwestern Seminary is the only seminary, to my knowledge, that actually has a program. It has an endowment where we send out gospel preachers every spring break to churches all across the nation and do revivals. And uh, nobody told us that revivals don't, <laughs> you know, don't work any longer. We see professions of faith every single uh, year that we go out and do that. And so I think um, whether you want to call it a revival or evangelism weekend, whatever it is, having those dedicated times where you, through prayer, are seeking God. God, we believe you want to bring something like this. No man can have a revival and call it that. You, you, it has to be the work of God, but revivalism. And then the last one is through educational evangelism or through Sunday school. And, you know, uh, uh, we've kind of gone away from Sunday school to life groups and uh, home groups and all those kinds of things. But I believe Sunday st- school still works. I still believe that happens. And uh, one thing is whether you do have a home group, a life group, a Sunday school group, um, it is important to get into the Word of God and teach it. But make sure that you're calling for a response. You don't know who in your class is visiting and what kind of relationship they have. And so by using educational evangelism, by calling for a response, that's a fourth way that um, Southern Baptists have grown and I think will continue to grow if we'll still utilize those methods. All right. Now, your your enthusiasm for these four methods is obvious that you think they still work. What what are two or three practical things that pastors who are listening to us today could, could do to uh, make these methods effective in their own churches and their own ministries? Yeah, so th- there's a, um, a several things. I, I think uh, uh, one thing that a pastor can do uh, is to look for a grace-gifted, spirit-endowed evangelist. Now, what I mean by that is not just someone like Billy Graham who just preaches in, you know, crusades and stuff like that, but an evangelist, as we learn from Ephesians 4, is someone who God has gifted in the church to build the saints up for ministry. And so the evangelist equips and encourages a church in evangelism. So I think, uh, though some people think evangelists are a bygone era, uh, God is still using evangelists. Uh, I'm in a church almost every weekend doing something like this, and uh in in your own state convention, there there's a list of evangelists uh, um, that you can go. You can also look at the conference on Southern Baptist evangelists, and and get an evangelist to come in, not to do your evangelism for you, and not just to preach a message for you, but to encourage and equip your people in evangelism. So that's a, another thing that can be done. And then uh, one other area that uh, that I think. Um, Southern Baptists could use is also leveraging their events for evangelism. You know, uh, a lot of times we have a lot of events that garner a lot of people that we've never seen before, lost people, people from the community. You know, sometimes at Christmas, it's a some sort of a Christmas program. It could be uh, some kind of class, a marriage enrichment class. And you have a lot of guests and you say, well, look at us. We, we did evangelism. We had a lot of people that have never come to the church before come. Well, if you didn't share the gospel, you didn't have evangelism, you had an event. So I think pastors having an intentional mind to say, how can we use the events that we offer to the community and to our church and insert gospel presentations and call for decisions? I think that would be another way that we can uh, leverage some some things that we're already doing very simply for the purpose and the work of evangelism. Mm. 
Dr. Queen, let's talk a little bit about obstacles. What What is it that keeps pastors from having an evangelistic ministry? Yeah, so I, I think pastors take uh, a lot of things for granted. Um, they they have a heart, and I, I, I believe every pastor that I know has a heart for evangelism and wants to see their people uh, do evangelism. And they assume that because they feel that way and think that way, that their p- people already know it. Um, I have our students here at the seminary do a, 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 an interview with a pastor uh, to talk to him about his effectiveness uh, in evangelism. And one of the questions that the students ask the pra- pastor every semester is, what are your expectations for yourself in personal evangelism? What are your expectations for either your staff or your lay leadership? And then what are your expectations for your people? And almost without fail, pastors say, we don't want to be, I don't want to be very legalistic. We want to live missionally. We just encourage our people to find opportunities. Well, you know what that tells me, Dr. McCarty? They don't have any expectations. Now, we don't want to be legalistic about anything, but you do need to set goals. And not only for yourself and your staff, but for your people. And you can't assume that they know what they are. So I think by communicating those expectations habitually, uh, when you start saying it enough to your people where you start getting tired of hearing it, that's when your staff starts hearing it. And when your staff picks up the mantle and they start talking about it where they get tired of it, that's when your people start to hear it. So I think not assuming too much, a pastor not assuming too much that his people know exactly what they need to do. I think another thing is, is we just, we don't train in evangelism anymore. Now, of course, the New Testament church, they didn't have a CWT, a Can We Talk, or an evangelism explosion, or, or a three circles presentation, or anything like that. They just went out and did it. But they were sitting at the apostles' feet, and they were observing the model of the apostles. And so I think whether you do some plan, or whether you just take what I did, is uh, when I was a pastor, I would take some people that were willing to go into evangelism, usually two or three people. And I took them with me to do evangelism, taught them how to do it. Then I taught them how to teach others to do it. And then I said, now I need you to go find two or three people. And I found somebody else. So I think that uh, having a, a program training or modeling evangelism would be another thing that pastors could do to begin burning the fires of evangelism in their churches. One of our students here has has gotten so fired up about sharing the gospel th- this semester that he's, he's set for himself the goal he said, I, I want to win a uh, hundred people to Christ in the next 90 days. And I thought, well, man, I mean, can you give yourself some breathing space there? And, and, and I, I don't know if he's going to, that's, that's pretty aggressive. That's about as aggressive as I've heard. But I have, and I, uh, I don't know if the guy's going to make it, but already in the first month, there, there are over a dozen people he's won to Christ. So he has, I, it's going to be more, it may not be a hundred, but it's going to be more than that, that a lot of pastors get just because he, he's, he's got a focus there. That's right. He sent me an email yesterday and th- shared the gospel with three different people, and they indicated they were saved, but they made rededications of their life. And so, uh, you know, this guy, he has a goal. Whether he gets it or not, that'll be up to God. But uh, he has a goal, and that's what a lot of people don't have. All right, one, one final question, and, and I've been looking forward to having you in here because you're the evangelism expert. So I, <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you this question. Way. I, I, a lot of the reading and and talking about the gospel that that I've seen in the last few mm. years uh, at conferences and things that the term the gospel has uh, uh, oftentimes I think 
uh, people are using that as a synonym for mm-hmm. some particular theological system mm-hmm. uh, rather than just the simple gospel. That, so let me close with this question. So Dr. Queen, <laughs> what is the gospel? And and how can you integrate the gospel into your preaching? Yes, I think that's a great question. Um, I, I've heard the labels uh, with, with using the word gospel, and sometimes we use them where they don't mean anything. There's also been some books. Uh, recently, Scott McKnight wrote a book called The King Jesus Gospel. And actually, he tries to attack uh, Greg Gilbert, who's a Southern Baptist pastor, as well as D.A. Carson, and their view of uh, gospel. the gospel as being uh, salvific in some way. And he says, no, the gospel is the story of Israel. Well, I, I think if we were to ask the Apostle Paul, um, what is the gospel? He would say for what we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, for I deliver to you a first importance or first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so what we see in that is, first of all, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. You have to talk about sin. You have to talk about how his sacrifice died, uh, was for our sins. And the problem is, many times our gospel presentations only talk about Jesus' death for sins. That, that's important, but we leave out some characteristics. For example, some people have shared the gospel talking about Jesus' death and never mentioned his resurrection. So we're trying to get someone to believe in someone who has died, but we've not told them that he's also alive. But Jesus, uh, Paul said, Jesus died and was raised according to the scriptures. So we also need to use the scriptures. And then last, if you're a Baptist and you fail to mention the burial in between the death and the, and the resurrection, um, I think, uh, you know, we ought to ask ourselves why we don't do that. Jerry Vine, Dr. Jerry Vines preached a message here at Southwestern Seminary about three years ago, and he preached on this very text. And he's the one who got me thinking about the burial part of the gospel, died, buried, and risen. You know, a lot of times whenever we call people to a response, we say, okay, all you have to do is just pray this prayer and then you're good. And then when they pray a prayer of confession, confessing Jesus as Lord, that's biblical to do. Then we say, now you need to read your Bible. Now you need to pray. Now you need to get baptized. And they say, wait a minute, you just said all I had to do was pray. Well, if it, without using baptism in your gospel presentation, if you said Jesus died, was buried and raised, once they receive Christ, you can go back and say, do you know, just a moment ago, I talked to you about his death, burial, and resurrection. For you to show the world that you believe in that Jesus died, buried, and raised, you need to be baptized. And we show them what believer's baptism is. The gospel is a picture of, of, of what we are doing in baptism. And so uh, I think uh, by talking about sin, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ, using Scripture to convince them in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what the gospel is, and that's how a preacher can use it uh, in his preaching or in his personal everyday witnessing. Our guest on Preaching Source today has been Dr. Matt Queen. He's the professor of evangelism here at Southwestern Seminary. And uh, Dr. Queen, thank you so much for a helpful, helpful chat today. Thank you for having me. God bless you, brother.